This is Radiate, the podcast that celebrates life and shines a light on life-restoring stories of organ, tissue and eye donors, recipients, and information you need to know about donation. Happy New Year and welcome back to Radiate. This is episode 10. I'm Audrey Coleman, your host. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, we have begun a new year and with each new year, some of us make promises to ourselves about the goals we intend to keep for the following 364 days. Well, we at Radiate haven't exactly made a New Year's resolution, but we do want you to know that we are still committed to providing you with podcasts, that shine a light on a variety of stories championing organ and tissue donation. And this includes a behind-the-scenes look at the work of Aurora staff. So we begin this year by introducing you to a couple of our dedicated team members who helped to make donation happen through their work at Aurora. Michael White is the Family Services Hospital Liaison for Aurora and works from our office in Fayetteville. And we'll talk to Mike shortly. But first, I'd like for you to meet Brandy Turner. Brandy is the Donation Data Specialist for Aurora. Hi, Brandy. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am so excited to finally be part of Radiate. Now... (laughs) It's real. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so flattered. I did not realize that there was a whole like waiting list of people wanting to be on the show. But now that I know that, you know, we'll, we'll break it open for everybody. Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. It's good to have you here, Brandy. You know, there's an image that a lot of people have in their minds of the nurse in scrubs carrying a cooler to a helicopter or, and then flying away to, to provide a, a waiting patient a life-saving organ. I think that's a really familiar scenario for a lot of people. But I think that people would be surprised if they knew the many, many behind-the-scenes positions that um, are also at Aurora working to save lives and restore lives, just like your position, Brandy. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, let me start by saying that when my job is not nearly as cool as the images that everyone sees in all the movies and on the TV shows. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I am one of the coolest computer geeks that you'll probably ever meet. (laughs) And I am our donation data specialist. And that's just a fancy title for someone that just takes all the data that's been entered by people throughout our organization. And I transform it into cool graphs and reports. And all this can be used to help give us knowledge and help us make informed decisions at Aurora. Yeah, and when she says that she does some cool graphs and things, she she really does. And I am not a person that's able to do that stuff very easily. So I always welcome Brandy's really spot on work that she does for us. So. How do you think of, I know you said that there's data that's input pretty much agency-wide and you support through um, creating graphs and, I don't know, mining for data and all that, but can you tell us how that actually helps clinical staff to restore and save lives? I think probably one of my most used reports is by our tissue coordinators Mm -hmm. and um, it's probably used on pretty much a daily basis. And whenever they're doing cases, once the case is complete, 
they go in and they put that tissue number in that's associated with that t um, with our tissue donor, and it pulls forth all the information um, related to that donor, and they use that information and they package it um, when they send everything to our um, tissue processors. And so that's basically like our one-stop shop that list all the important information that that process is going to need in regards to that tissue donor. Um, and that's one of our most used reports right there. And then in addition to that, as an organization, we have reports that we look at on a regular basis that helps us to improve our, um, improve our goals and just improve what we do as an organization. And it helps us to learn where we need to make those improvements and it helps us to see where we currently excel um, so that we can just look at that and see what we can do better and um, make those improvements. So it's almost like you're sort of the keeper of the history of the organization in a way when we're talking about the actual work that we do. If we want to go back and look at what we did 10 years ago or 10 days ago, you can help with all of that. Yes, right now I can go back to 2008 and look at everything that we've done as an organization. Granted, there are some things that have changed since then. We are always changing and adding and making additions to our systems. But overall, we can pull information from years ago and see how we've done and use that information to help us to continue to grow and do better so we can continue to save lives. Because I am just completely not a numbers person. I mean, it just, <laughs> I'm impressed with anyone who can do this kind of work. So I'm super impressed that you're doing this data work. What is your um, professional background? What would prepare you to do something like this? Well, I actually have a degree. I went to the best school ever. I went to Mississippi State University. I'm a bulldog. Let me start some there. Some Maroon and White. might disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Maroon and white all day, bulldogs. But um, I have a degree in business information systems. So that's kind of a merging of the business world and um, the IT world. And so I um, went to school and I learned how to do programming, basically. I can write programs and things of that nature. And with that, I learned also how to uh, write what is considered SQL, which mm -hmm. is a database language. And that's what I use here at this organization. So a lot of it I have had to learn on the spot because a lot is clearly business logic. Um, thank God for Google. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness for people at other OPLs. So generous and help. Um, we are very good about helping each other um, throughout this OPO world, especially in the donation, not the donation, developing the data analyst world. We help each other and try to make sure we're all great and that we're supporting our staff as best okay. as possible. So what would you say is one of your favorite or some of your favorite aspects of your work? Well, I really enjoy being able to help people learn how to make their jobs more efficient. So mm -hmm. with that, what I mean is like learning how to streamline a process, um, help them be able to make that process better and just faster, more systematic, more efficient and reliable. Because mm -hmm. if you have several people trying to do one thing, everyone is gonna do it different and it's not gonna be consistent across the board. And that's a lot of time that people were once spending at one point in time before I came along, gathering information and gathering data to present to hospitals, funeral homes, coroners, different people throughout the industry to let them know this information. And now 
giving them these tools, they're able to have consistent information and they're able to get it in a timely fashion. So I really enjoy being able to help people do their jobs more efficiently and save them that time on those things, those mundane processes so that they can spend more time doing things that basically gives them more time to focus on the important aspects, which is restoring lives. I mean, that that is the work that you're doing is important and critical to the success of the rest of the organization. So, you know, we really appreciate that you not only do it well, but you enjoy doing that work. So that's great. I love making everyone happy. (laughs) So do you ever have an opportunity to work with donor families or meet them? I do. I do. I do. I actually at one point was going out to the schools pre-COVID when I was part of the um, donation development team. Um, one of my responsibilities was going to the schools and speaking with students um, and faculty about the importance of registering to be an organ donor. And with that, I was able to meet a lot of our volunteers, which are made up of our donor families and some of our donor recipients. And like I always tell the students when I go out, you know, I can sit here all day and give you all all the information and facts and keep you entertained. But the real reason we're here and the real purpose for what we do are these family members and these recipients. And they bring it all to life and let you see and just really help them to understand the importance of what we do as an organization. So that time with those families is just that has given me my connection to purpose. That brought it all home for me and I enjoy them thoroughly. Absolutely, and I'm sure you have not been able to spend quite as much time with them this or the past several months, but let's keep our fingers crossed that that's gonna change pretty quickly. I miss them. So Randy, we really appreciate you talking with us today, but uh, you know, you just said something. um, You are out at schools or you have been out at schools and I will bet that you have heard one or two myths about donation at some point, correct? Absolutely. Well, a little bit later, we're gonna talk about myths and facts about donation. Would you mind um, hanging around and maybe a little bit later in the show, we're gonna talk about some myths and you can help us to dispel some of those? I'd love to. Like I said, I've been waiting for this opportunity forever. I'm here. We're gonna take full (laughs) advantage then, okay? Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Randy. We'll talk to you soon. So I mentioned at the top of the show that we also have another team member that we would love to introduce to our audience today, and that is Michael White. Michael fills the position of Family Services Hospital Liaison, and he works out of Northwest Arkansas. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me here. I'm, I'm, I'm so honored to, to be on the show. I feel like I got, kicked for, uh, got picked first on the kickball team. <laughs> I'm sorry, I would not know what that's like. I was always the last one, but I bet it's great. So. <laughs> Um, actually, this is we're really happy to have you here, Mike, on the show because um, you are one of our newer staff members and you also um, occupy a, a, a unique position within the organization because I believe you're the only person in the organization that is specifically doing this work. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm the only one in uh, both family services and in hospital development. So my title is Family Services Hospital Liaison. So you have an opportunity to work with both donor families and hospital staff. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. And so, you know, my role being a dual role I work with families uh, through the donation process from from the approach all the way through uh, the, the donation. And I also work with hospitals in this process as well. And, and when I'm not working on a donor case, 
Uh, also provide education for hospital staff on organ donation as well as providing them information uh, that's relevant to, to their work. I guess in a sense, I was going to ask you to describe how your works your work helps to save lives, save and restore lives. Um, what you just described does, but is there anything more that you'd like to add about how your work plays in specifically with that process? Well, it's it's a really, it's an amazing role. And like you said, you know, I've only been here for a few months. Uh, but it's it's an amazing role to get to work with families uh, and, and, and talk with them about the possibility of their loved one being an organ donor. Uh, and so that's, it's really, it's an honor. It's kind of like being in the grassroots part of the process. You know, you're, you're on the, the ground level as it, as it all starts. And then, you know, in working with hospitals, uh, we, work, we work to make sure that hospital staff members know what occurs uh, during the donation process and kind of what their role is. Uh, we also spend some time developing the relationships at hospitals so that it's really a teamwork kind of atmosphere at Aurora. Mm-hmm. Work uh, atmosphere when we're working on a, a donor case. So that helps uh, Aurora and hospitals work well together. Mike, what do you enjoy about your your work as a liaison? You know, the, the thing that I enjoy the most is working with families. And it is it's such an honor uh, to meet with families when they are at their darkest moment and provide light. Uh, you know, we've, we've been with families and, and working with them through this and have heard them say that, you know, through the donation process, they had some peace about what was going on and, mm-hmm. and gave them uh, even a sense of purpose, you know, through something that, that has tragically happened, something positive comes out of it and lives are saved through it. I was also wondering about your background. Now, were you working in, in a hospital environment before or I mean, you, you do several things in this position, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what you might have been doing before you came here. Well, what's funny is, you know, this has been such a huge career shift for me. <laughs> My background is in education. Ah. Uh, I started off in the classroom and uh, so maybe that's why my recess uh, joke didn't didn't fly because I'm a, I'm an educator and, and uh, started off that way and, and moved into administration and education and you know the last role I had was uh, the president of a, of a private school hmm. uh, in Texas so this has been a huge shift for me but because you know I've I've worked also in counseling. Uh, in education. So that's kind of helped prepare me in working with families is, is through that counseling background. I think I just heard you say something about Texas. So are you from Texas? No, I'm, I'm originally from Little Rock. Mm. Um, you know, I was just thinking earlier when Brandy was talking about the Bulldogs, that you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter what college you came from. We're not going to hold an inferior football team um, uh, you know, over your head or anything like that. We're going to go ahead and keep it civil somewhat and, and know that you do great work, Brandy. Uh, but no, I grew up in Little Rock. <laughs> so, Mike, I'm thinking that also in your work, since you're working with, you know, both hospital personnel and you're working with families, that you've probably been confronted with a couple of myths about donation in your short time in this profession. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so would you be willing to join me and Brandy and a couple of friends that we're going to introduce in just a few minutes to help us correct some of those myths? I would love to. Okay, well, great. I want want to bring on two other guests, and I think you guys in the audience 
have met these two before because they have hung out with me more than one time. Yes, it is Michael Scott, communications generalist, and Stacey Robinson, workplace partnership specialist. Hi, both of you. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be here. It's always a party when you guys come on, isn't it? Yes, it is. Meets the podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Brandy, can can we bring you back in? And Mike, you're still there as well. Mike White, you're still there. I yes. am here, and okay. I need to find my cowbell. Okay. Well, again, as I said, you guys can work on work through that off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. So Mike Scott and I have been with Aurora for a long time. I'm not even going to say how long, but it's been a long time, right, Mike? Thank you for not mentioning how long. Yes. Okay. So we have seen lots of changes in our organization, um, in other OPOs, in the world of organ tissue and eye donation. But I think Mike would agree with me that the one thing that has not changed since we came on some years ago is that the spread of myths about donation continues. It continues, and every year we think, okay, we've got a plan that's gonna really address those. We're not gonna have to worry about that anymore. No, we just realize now that the myths are with us and it is our job to just make sure that we dispel them left and right. So that's what we're gonna do today. So, again, the bad news, myths are still out there. Good news, we're gonna dispel them. Here's what I'm wanting us to do. So I've got a few different myths, probably the ones that most of us hear the most often. And I am going to ask the four of you, if you would, when I name a myth, if it's something that you think you can dispel because you've got the the facts about that myth, just raise your hand and I'm gonna call on you so that you can clarify that for our audience. How does that sound? Sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, here we go. So, first myth. If emergency room doctors know you're an organ donor, they just won't work as hard to save you. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'll let um, you take that one, Mike. Ooh. Yeah, let's, how about Mike Scott? Okay, so that was a throwback to Welcome Back, Carter. Um, this is actually one of our most widely spread myths. Um, the fact is, if you're, in a, if you're sick or injured and admitted to the hospital, the number one priority is to save your life. Organ donation can only be considered after brain death and has been declared by a physician. And that's the, and also the treating physician is not the same doctor who would perform the organ surgery. And I often tell people to, t- to think of it as two, two basic re- ways I break it down to people. I say, think of it as two uh, hospitals in the business to do two things, save lives and make money. And they stop making money on you when they sign your death certificate. So it's in their best interest to keep you going as long as possible. All right, folks, so you heard that from Mike Scott. He is saying that that is just not true, that if you are sick or injured, doctors are going to treat you, the the entire staff, they're going to treat you in a way that they think will save your life, improve your health. It has nothing to do with donation. All right, second myth, the rich and famous receive priority on the waiting list. Now, I know I've heard that one a bunch of times, who, who, Stacy? Can Stacey. I take that one? Yes, you can, Stacy. I want that one. Okay. Actually, and this is something we talk about a lot when we're out uh, in the public or mm-hmm. when 
during a webinar, but uh, because this is a common myth, but when you're on the transplant waiting list for a donor organ, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. What really counts is the severity of your illness the time spent waiting, blood types, and other important medical information because it has to be a match for that life-saving organ. Okay, so, so, so then we're saying that it is not true, it is not true that rich and famous received priority on the organ waiting list, that the sickest person is who's at the top of the list. That is absolutely correct. Okay. It does not matter. Uh, it is the sickest person on the list that gets the life-saving organ. All right, myth number two, dispelled. All right, third myth. Your family, your family members can block your decision to become an organ or tissue donor even if you are in the registry. Me, I beat everyone this time. Okay, Randy, how, <laughs> Randy, why don't you answer this one? <laughs> Okay, so I like to tell people, first of all, since I go out to schools, I always make it a point to let them know that as long as you're under the age of 18, legally, your parents can override your decision. However, I am pretty sure if you talk to them and share with them the reasons why you've made this decision, in the event something does occur, I'm pretty sure they will uphold the decision that you have made. Now, after you turn 18, that is a legally binding document and no one, no family member, wife, mother, father, sister, brother can come in and change the decision that you have made. So no, no one can block your decision to be a donor. Okay, Brandy, so you're saying that if it is an individual under the age of 18, even if they're in the registry, their parent or guardian could revoke their decision. That is correct. Because they're a minor, only because correct. they're a minor. However, if you're 18 and older and you're in the registry, that is a binding contract and the donor's wishes will be on. Upheld, exactly. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, myth number three, dispelled, right? Um, next myth, no one wants my organs because I have too many medical conditions. Now me, I have me, heard me, that. Me, 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 me. Um, Mike White, Mike White has that answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, at the time of death, the appropriate medical professionals are, are going to review your me your medical and social histories, and in doing that, they determine whether or not you can be a donor. You know, there's been so many advances in transplantation that many more people than ever before can be donors. So, that simply just isn't true. There have been times, I know when I've been out with, with Mike, because Mike and I used to do a lot of presentations together. We unfortunately don't much anymore he and Stacy do more of those but um, I can remember being out and um, hearing people say oh they'll come they would come up to our table and I've got hypertension or diabetes or you know I I like to drink a lot <laughs> you know just various things that people would say that they thought would prevent them from becoming a donor, but, but Mike, what you're saying is with, with all of the advances in transplantation and also, as I understand it, um, the determination of whether or not a person is eligible to become a donor is not made until their time of death. So what may be the medical history of a person today might not affect the option for donation 10 years from now or five years from now. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, 
I remember one time I went to see my, my doctor and I told, I had told him what was wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> I diagnosed myself and he said, Hey, uh, you're paying me to be a doctor. <laughs> you're the patient. So just give me the symptoms. It's kind of the same thing. Let the medical professionals determine that. If you absolutely to sign up to be a donor. And, and I think um, we also mentioned, I believe Mike might've mentioned this, the, the physician who is treating is not the same physician who is going to declare that this person is eligible to become a donor. So there is not, we, we, no one should be concerned about a conflict of interest or anything of that sort. It is very, um, this has been going on for a, for years and years, and there is a system in place that is fair and equitable and safe. And people should certainly be aware of the fact that this is a very safe process in the United States. Okay, how about this one? Organ donation is expensive, and I do not want my family members to have to pay for anything once I'm gone just because I decided to become a donor. And I take that one. All right, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, Audrey, I'm glad you brought that up. There's no cost to the organ donor's family or uh, tissue donor's family or estate for organ and tissue donation. However, funeral costs remain the responsibility of the family. So okay. there's no cost from donor's family or estate. So responsible for funeral costs. So, Stacy, I think that what I hear, what I'm hearing you say then is that once a patient has been declared as a donor, once a, a person, a patient is in the hospital, they're um, they are responsible for all of those medical expenses for their treatment of whatever has brought them into the hospital. But once Aurora takes over the case and that person has been declared a donor, that person's financial responsibilities for their stay in the hospital ends. Aurora picks up all of those expenses from the time they become a donor until the process is completed. That's exactly right, Audrey. Okay, okay good. All right, that's another myth dispelled. All right. Okay. Here's here's one that I do hear a lot, um, and I, I, I think we may have already. I don't know if we talked about this or not, but anyway, here's one. My religion does not allow organ, tissue, or eye donation. Oh, can I take that one? Yes, please. Um, so all major religions approve of organ and tissue donation and consider it an act of charity. Okay, well, that's that's good news. So then it sounds, are, are we saying that, that let's say if you're, you're Christian, what is, the, is the Protestant, I'm sorry, not the Protestant, is the, the Catholic stance different from the Baptist stance, different from the Episcopal stance? Or, you know, all of them approve of it, and all of them consider it to be, like I said, an act of charity uh, that's helping someone else out. So uh, they're all uh, very positive towards uh, organ donation. So all major religions, as far as we know, I mean, we have, well, not just as far as we know, we have documentation that says that they actually do condone donation, but it's always a good idea to talk to a person's spiritual leader if you have other questions about it, or if you need help making decisions. And we certainly respect um, the individual's uh, 
uh, right to do that and, and, and recommend that you get all the information you can, but the facts are that religious organizations do not disapprove of organ and tissue donation, and in fact, they do approve of it as an act of charity. Okay, so I think that this might be the last one that I have, so don't you guys fight over who's gonna answer, but here it is. This one always makes me think of some TV show or something. Okay, you guys ready? I am afraid of being drugged and having my organs removed. I'm not take that one. Okay, Mike, Scott. <laughs> um, only if you dream it. I know, but seriously, <laughs> this is a tale that's been widely circulated over the internet. Um, there's absolutely no evidence of such activity ever occurring in the U.S. Um, while the tale may sound credible, it's not based in re any reality of organ transplantation. Uh, also, it's illegal to buy and sell organs and tissues in the United States. Which means that it would be very difficult to find anyone who would be able to transplant a stolen organ or tissue, correct? Yeah. So, you know what, this, again, as you said, this is a very widely circulated um, tale and it has been out there for for years, for decades, I'm sure, probably. Um, but yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yes, this is like something that shows up on a TV show. It's just not true, simply not true. So I think that we have covered the major donation myths today. It's been great. I have one oh, I wanna share. Let okay. me share one with you guys that all right. I hear all the time going to the schools and a lot of the times the kids think that if you're a donor, you mm -hmm. cannot have an open casket funeral. You know, that is I hear right. it all the time. And let Randy, me tell you. Yeah, what's the reality of that? You absolutely can. Mm -hmm. You absolutely can. Donation is still a routine surgery, similar to having a gallbladder removed or an appendix removed. It is still a routine procedure. Mm -hmm. So by all means, you can still have a normal funeral service. And with that being said, I also want to add that we view these donors and their families with as much care and like the same as what we do with our own families and loved ones. And we do everything we can to make sure that they are happy with all that we've done for their loved ones. So Brandy, we hold them to the utmost respect. You're, you're absolutely right, Brandy. I'm so glad that you, br that you brought that up. And, and that is true. Um, our teams work with the family. For instance, if there is um, for tissue donation, We've had families to say that their loved one was going to be dressed in a particular um, piece of clothing that might show the arms or a neckline or something of that sort. And our, our tissue team listens very carefully to, carefully to that. And they make certain that they follow the family's wishes as best they can. And so, yes, Brandy's correct. It is, it is yes, it's possible. It is. It happens all of the time when people are donors that they have open casket funerals. So that is absolutely possible because as Brandy says, it is a surgical procedure. And so yes, there are um, stitches, but no different than a stitch that would be um, provided with any other sort of a surgical procedure. So um, yes, that is true. It is possible to have whatever kind of um, funeral service the family has chosen to do even if the don if the their loved one was a donor a tissue donor so i think i mean have we like cleaned up wrapped up dispelled all myths for all 
mankind from this point forward? <laughs> we, I we, think so. Yeah, you know, I'd like to believe that. Of course, we know that's not true. But <laughs> as I said, the good news is, is we're always working hard to do that, to dispel those myths. And, you know, if anyone in our audience has any questions about these myths, other myths, or any of the other information that we were talking about today regarding donation, please just hop onto our website, aurora.org. There's lots of information on there about um, the facts about donation, about um, what happens during the, the donation process. So there's a lot of information in there for anybody who is interested in learning more about organ, tissue, and eye donation. Hey, everybody here, Stacy, Brandy, Mike, and Mike, so good to have you here today. Thank you guys so much for sharing, um, Mike and Brandy, for sharing your stories about your careers, your professions. Very interesting, and we hope to continue to do this throughout the year, bringing you even more stories of staff members in the office. And of course, Mike and Stacy, always good to see you guys. Thank you, it was good to be here today. All right. Thank you, everybody. And if you in the audience have any questions for us, please call 501-907-9150. And if you're ready to make a life-restoring decision and register to become an organ, tissue, and eye donor, go to DonateLifeArkansas.org. Radiate is a production of Aurora and is hosted by Audrey Coleman, Aurora's Director of Communications.